book of Hosea, over in the what they call the minor prophets, but as I said, the minor prophets were the major message. So turn to the book of Hosea. Uh, find it. We, you remember when we were in Daniel? Just go uh, a book, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you'll come to Hosea. Hosea chapter number two. Hosea chapter number two. All right, well, let's set the setting where we were at last time in the book of Hosea. If you remember, God had come to Hosea and he had told him to take a wife from among the prostitutes. Now, that's pretty, pretty amazing that, that God would uh, give Hosea such a command to, to go amongst the prostitutes and, and grab a wife. I, I, uh, it raises all sorts of theological dilemmas that, that God would tell Hosea to do something that seems to be evil. But God didn't intend that for evil, did he? He intended it for good. And so uh, he tells, her, tells Hosea to go find this prostitute. I want you to take her as your wife. And I want, not only that, I want you to love her. I want you to marry her. And I want you to have children with her. And so sure enough, he takes Gomer as his wife and, and they get married and and uh, she bears him a child. And he called that child Jezreel, the first child, Jezreel. And that means Jehovah scatters. Jehovah is the sower. Uh, and you can take that in two different contexts. One being that Jehovah scatters uh, uh, seed, that he scatters good, that he plants and sows good things. But the other thing is you could take it to mean in another context that he's going to scatter the nation of Israel. And both of those contexts are used in Hosea chapters 1 and 2. And so uh, he names the first child Jezreel because he's going to scatter, the, judge the nation of Israel, and he's going to scatter them throughout the land. Well, Gomer has a second child. And this child, I don't think, is the child of uh, Hosea's. I think she went back to her trade, back to being a prostitute, and she found her a lover. And uh, she had a child with this lover. And so God told Hosea to name this second child uh, Lo-Ruhamah. Lo in Hebrew means no or not. Lo-Ruhamah uh, means you're not of my mercy. You're not of the Father's mercy because you do not know the Father. This child did not know her father uh, who was born to to Gomer, and so uh, uh, God tells him to name this child Lo-Ruhamah. And, and he's using all of this, uh, using this relationship with Gomer and Hosea to, as a metaphor of what's happening in the nation of Israel. As I said last week, God knew that Gomer was going to break Hosea's heart, but God's heart was broken. And so God wanted Hosea to speak from the heart. He wanted Hosea to feel what he was feeling. And so he allows all this to happen. And so she has this second child, Lo-Ruhamah. And no sooner does she wean that child, and it takes about, in, in Jewish culture, wean, the weaning process is about a three-year process. No sooner was that child weaned than she went out and more than likely went back chasing lovers who weren't her husband, back to an adulterous affair, and she had a third child, and God told her to name that child Lo-Ami. Lo, again, meaning not. Ami is the Hebrew word for people. 
you're not my people. In other words, that child was not Hosea's child. You're not my people. And Israel had reached a point, and I, and I, I kind of compared this to the United States of America last week when we were looking at this, but they had reached a point where their nation had engaged in so much harlotry, so, so much idolatry, and so much sin that their children knew nothing of God. And so those children didn't even want Jehovah as their God. And so God says, you don't want me, I don't want you. You are not my people. And that's a terrible place when you, when you come to a point as a nation or as a person where God says, you are not my people, you're not going to be my people anymore. And boy, I'll tell you what, if we, if we just shut the book right there, it'd be a pretty dreary, pretty dreary situation. But that's not, that's not the heart of God. Yes, God is just. And if he's just, that means there's going to be judgment for sin. But he's also merciful. You know, we use merciful as, a, as an adjective to describe God, what he's like. But that's who he is. God is love. God is mercy. God can't do anything else but be merciful because that's his character. That's who he is. And that's what we're going to see as he as, as we see this uh, back and forth between judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy, we're going to see the heart of God. Because God is also, he, justice doesn't describe God, God is just. That's who he is too. And so there's this, this, there's this dilemma between justice and mercy that we see played out in the entire Bible and especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pick up in verse number two, and he, and he begins with, with mercy. He had said, name Israel Loamah, you are not my people, and name them Lo Ruhamah, that you do not know my mercy. But then now he says in verse number one, he says, say to your brother, Ami, which you are, means you are my people. Aruhamah, which means mercy is shown. So uh, you see this, again, this paradox between God's mercy and his judgment. He says, you know, Right now, this generation, they're not my people. They do not know the Father's mercy because they do not know the Father. But there's coming a time again when God will say to Israel, you are my people. You, mercy will be shown because you, you will know me at some point. But now he, he, he reiterates the threat of judgment. God doesn't want to, does God want to judge people? Does he want to judge a nation? No, he always has purposes in his judgment. And, and the main purpose, and we'll see that in the book of Hosea, is to bring people to him, to save people for eternity. That is his main purpose. I don't care how you're being used by God in, in your life, but God's main purpose for you isn't for you to, to have lots of material things. I mean, God does bless us. To have a great job, to have a great future, to have a great home, to have a great country, to have all of that. That's not his number one priority. His number one priority is to use you to get people saved. To get, first of all, to get you there, and then to use you to get other people saved. And so he works in all sorts of strange ways, like floods in Lafayette, and floods in Baton Rouge, and Katrina, and Rita, and all of these terrorist attacks, and all these things we're seeing. God has a purpose in allowing all of these things to happen. All right, now, in verse number two, he says, he says bring charges against your mother. For she, and for she is not my wife. Now there's a picture there that, that you know, you could get a picture of what Hosea would say at this point. 
she's had two illegitimate children. And he said, get out of here. You're no longer my wife. And there's that same picture with the nation of Israel. He said, bring charges against your mother. Hosea, bring charges against your nation. For she is not my wife any longer. Isn't it interesting that God saw the nation of Israel as his wife? As being married to the nation of Israel? I mean, we see the picture over in Ephesians 5. He speaks of the church being married to Jesus Christ. God the Father sees the nation of Israel being married to him. He still does. He still does. I mean, there's been a divorce but in a way, but, or a separation, but he's in the process of bringing them back. And in the end, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, all of Israel will be saved. That's his purpose. That's where he's heading with Israel. Now, we see a picture of us in this, but he's primarily speaking or, or uh, yeah, primarily speaking to the nation of Israel, and secondary, secondarily, he's speaking to us. So, but he says, bring charges against your nation, for she is no longer my wife, nor am I her husband. And you can see Hosea saying this to the children of Gomer. You know, tell your mother, I don't want anything to do with her anymore. Let her put away her harlotries. If she wants to be my wife, she's got to put away her harlotries. Think about poor Hosea. I mean, he's supporting this woman. He's got a home for her. He loves her. He went out and he found this beautiful woman and he fell in love with her. And she's going out with other men and having other children. And his heart is broken. And he says, you know, tell your mother I don't want anything to do with her anymore. Unless she puts away her harlotries from her sight. And God's saying the same thing to Israel. And her adulteries from between her breasts. Let's watch this. Lest I stripped her, strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born. You know, think of a child when they're born. Can they fend for themselves in any way? What are they without their mother? They're nothing without their mother. And God's saying to the nation of Israel, and I think he says to, to all people at some point, you know, if, you, if, if, if you're going to commit all of this idolatry and harlotry, I'm going to pull back my blessing from you. I'm going to strip you from the things that I give you, from the protection that I give you, and you're going to be left naked. You know, the, the United States of America, and I love this country, don't get me wrong, but the United States of America has been given so much by God. But yet we've reached a point in America where we have a generation, low of me, low ruhamah. They don't know the God, God's mercy. They're, they're no longer God's people. God doesn't know this generation that's coming up. And this generation... There's a remnant here, I believe, at this point. Like Judah had a remnant during this time, and God said, I'm still, I'm going to deal with you later. Right now, I'm dealing with Israel. But we're coming to a point very rapidly in the United States, if there's not a revival in this country, we're going to see a generation of people who don't know the Lord at all. And whose fault is that? That's our generation. That's the fault of the parents who, who raised this generation that's coming up. Or the generation following. That might be three or four generations from now. But let me tell you what. I've seen in my generation such an exponential uh, change in the morality of this country that if it goes on like this 50 more years, we're down the tubes. And there'll be a generation. We'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And there'll be a generation of people who do not know the Lord. And what happens when we, when we fall away from the Lord? You know what we think? We start thinking we're really strong on our own. We don't need the Lord. We've got our missiles. We've got our armies. We've got our, we've got our government. We've got our, our social programs. We've got all of these things. And what God says, at some point, I'm going to take all that away. 
I'm going to take all that away. And what are you going to find out? You're nothing more than a little crying baby. You're naked. You've been stripped. And all of these lovers that you've gone after that you think are, are, are benefiting you, you're going to find out that they don't benefit you at all, that all the blessings that you were receiving were coming from me. And, and a country reaches that point, and, and uh, he says, I'll slay her. I'll, I'll, I'll set her in a dry land, a dry and thirsty land, and I will, I, I will slay her with that thirst. I'll make you naked to where you need a God. You cry out to God. Now, is God doing that to punish, to get revenge? No. Thirst is, is, has a purpose. It gets you to drink of water. It gets you to drink of the thing that's, that you need. And, and God, at some point, will take a nation, he'll take an individual, and he'll put us in a dry and thirsty place so that we thirst for the Lord. And then he says in verse number four, I will not have mercy on her children. For they are children of harlotry. In other words, there's that low ruhamah. They do not know my mercy, so they will not receive my mercy. I mean, when a nation reaches a point where it forsakes God to worship other gods, then that nation will no longer experience the mercy and grace of God. You see that all over the world. You see some of these dark, dark countries like Bangladesh, that are totally given over to their idolatry. And look, I mean, go, go visit. I hadn't been there, but, but uh, I'm sure it's a terrible, terrible place. I've seen pictures of it. You know, everybody talks about going to Europe, but, but you know, you compare Europe to the United States, the United States is a lot nicer than Europe. But we're heading down that path, that same path. The food's not as good, maybe, as it is in Italy, but, uh, but this is a nice place. Verse number five, for their mother played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers. Think how that had to break the heart of Hosea. Think how it had to break the heart of God that Israel was chasing after other lovers. Think how it, had to break, how it breaks the heart of God today when he blessed his nation with so much. And we give credit to everything but God for all of these blessings. Think of how it breaks his heart when you and I are ungrateful. When we don't ponder all the great things that God has given us. For she said, I will go after my lovers with, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. They no longer saw God as the one who was blessing them. They saw they were materialists. They saw their own, own uh, hard labor as, as uh, the resource of their blessings. Uh, they, saw, uh, they saw Mother Nature. You hear that all the time? Mother Nature gives us this, Mother Nature. Mother Nature is a word, two words actually. But that's all it is. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. That is, that, that is insanity, Mother Nature. That was as if this earth loves you and, and wants to provide for you. Who gave us this earth? God gave us this earth. God's the one who's blessed us. And so we've chased after in this country today, and a lot of us as individuals, we've chased after all sorts of things other than God. We love all sorts of things other than God. We see other things as the source of our blessings. And we don't love the God who gives us our blessings. 
So God pronounces judgment in verse 6. Look at verses 6 and 7 of, of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, behold, I will bring a hedge. I will hedge up your way with thorns. You got thorns in your life? Let me tell you who's, who's providing them for you. The Lord is providing them for you. You forsake the Lord, he's going to make you for a very thorny life. Your way is going to be full of thorns. Now, look, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you'll have many tribulations. Everybody's going to have some tribulations. Our tribulations, if we know the Lord, are for our good. They're not to hedge us up. But I'll tell you what, there's, there's believers who have to have the thorns sometimes. They drift away and, and forget the Lord, and, and, and God's not going to let them do that. So he says, I will hedge up your way with thorns. I'll curse your way. I'll curse everything you do, and I'll wall you in so that you cannot find her pass. She will chase her lovers, but, not, but, but her lovers won't come back to her. It's really, if you want a better translation there, maybe. Her lovers don't love her. You don't think about a woman who's chasing after somebody other than her husband. You think that person loves her? No. Think that man loves her? No. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna chase after your lovers, but in that time, but they, they don't care about you. They're using you. I mean, countries use countries. In that particular time, Israel was chasing after other gods, Molech, Baal. Let me ask you something. What did those gods ever do for Israel? A zilch. Then they chased after the Assyrians. And, they, and when the Assyrians attacked them, they chased after Egypt. And they, instead of going to God and saying, God, we need help, they went to Egypt and asked the Egyptians to help them fight the Assyrians. And so they were chasing after all these, these lovers, but those lovers didn't love Israel. When they, when they were done with Israel, they were done with them. When these men that Gomer was going with were, were done with her and had what they wanted from her, they were, they were, they were done with her. And so he says... She will chase her lovers, but, but her, her lovers aren't going to return to her. Yes, she will seek them, but, but she won't find them. Why? Because they don't care. They don't care about her. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. That's what Gomer did. We'll see that. She, she returned. She returned more than likely to Hosea. And this, this picture is playing out not only with Hosea and Gomer, but also with God and the nation of Israel and also with all of us as believers. And I really believe with the United States of America, I think there's a perfect picture here of where we're at. We're exactly where maybe Judah was at at this point. Maybe not as bad off as Israel because Israel had really reached a point where they had a generation of nobody who knew the Lord. We have a remnant here, I still believe, in the United States of America of believers. But he says, she will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will not... Well, go and return to my first husband. See, God has, had to discipline Israel to get Israel to the Israelites who were left after this great disaster that's going to take place in 721. Sennacherib's going to come down and he's going to, he's going to destroy the nation of Israel. And he took those people back. And there's pictures of these on some of these monuments that the Assyrians produced that we still have today with hooks in their mouth like big giant hooks about this size and they stuck them in their mouth and chained them to each other and took them back to these various countries where they made them slaves throughout the, the uh, Middle East. And so they were about to go through some really hard times. 
But God says, and that's the judgment. I will go and return to my first husband, for then uh, it was better for me than now. It's kind of like the prodigal son, isn't it? When they had these hooks in their mouth, who do you think they were looking for then? Baal or Molech or Assyria or Egypt? No, they were looking for the Lord. They were looking to Jehovah. Sometimes, though, it's too late to fix the circumstances that we get ourselves into. And they were, they were too late. That generation was too late. It says in verse number 8, For she did not know that I gave her, I was the one who gave her her grain. I was the one who blessed that nation. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord above. Every good and perfect gift. I gave her her new wine and oil, and I multiplied her silver and gold. And yet they prepared it all and gave it to Baal. They gave the blessing to Baal. I mean, it was Gomer, I mean, Hosea, who was blessing Gomer. And Gomer was taking all the blessings and going to use it for her own entertainment and, and to be with other men. And that's exactly what Israel had done. That's a, what a betrayal, huh? What a betrayal when, when, when we reach a point where, where we give credit for our blessing to someone other or something other than than Jehovah God. What a betrayal. And that's the point they had reached. And so God says in verse number 9, He says, Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover them their nakedness, and she will be naked again. She'll know that without me, she's nothing. And the nation knew that once they were judged. God at this point is pleading with me. I don't want to judge you. I don't want to put you through this. Turn, turn, repent. And let's make this right now. But God's omniscient. And he knew when he was speaking through the prophet Hosea exactly what Israel was going to do. They weren't going to repent. And they were going to have to go into captivity. Then in verse number 10 he says, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. I'm going to make her naked in front of all her lovers, in front of her wooden gods, in front of her, in front of her uh, uh, alien nations that she thought she was befriending. And she's going to see, they're going to see her nakedness and they're going to want nothing to do with her. And no one shall deliver her from my hand. And then in verse number 11, he says, I will also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, her appointed feasts. All this eating and drinking and being merry, all of these festivals. You know, that's something, you know, I'm not picking on Louisiana, but this is the most festival. Uh, if you want to go to a festival, I, I saw where some festival this week, even though it's flooded down there, they're going to have it anyway, you know, I mean, because this is, a, this is a place of festivals. But there's going to come a point. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the apocalypse we're going through right here. It's pretty bad. But there's going to come a point where God's going to end all of the festivals. Not that he hates festivals, and I'm not saying that. But he's going he's gonna to make people more somber at some point. You go back to the generation that went through the Great Depression. You go back and talk to them how somber times were then. There weren't many festivals then. You talk to the people who were losing sons and daughters in World War II. There weren't many festivals going on then. And there's going to come a time in this country, and I, and I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm not God, and I don't know when that's going to happen because God is mercy. But there's going to come a time in this, in this country where where uh, th that's all going to cease. I think they'll still have them here, though, but anyway. <laughs> and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees. 
of which she has said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. Baal gave me these. Look, sun god gave me these. Molech gave me these things. So I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat of them, not Israel anymore. And I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense, her false gods. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lover, just like Gomer did. Gomer had this passion for strange men. And I don't even think it was the money. I mean, we don't know the whole story. We're not giving privy to that. But, but I think she just liked strange men. She enjoyed adultery. And so she decked herself out with earrings of jewelry and she went out and found her, found her lovers, even though Hosea loved her so much. But she was chasing after lovers, just like Israel had chased after lovers. And she forgot me, said the Lord. How tragic is that? She forgot me, says the Lord. Have you forgotten the Lord? I mean, you know, I know we all say the right things. And I know how you would answer that question. But you really, we really have to ask ourselves, you know, are we any better than this? Have we, have we forgotten you, Lord? Are we really grateful for all you do for us? I mean, are really you last place in our lives? I mean, really, really, I mean, are you down here, way down here? Are you, you know, you're either in a strong relationship with the Lord or you have no relationship with the Lord. There's, no, there's not much in between there. And I think there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians and maybe might even be Christians who have forgotten the Lord. It's all about me and it's all about my family. It's all about maybe my church, maybe my ministry. You got to be careful. Good things can take you away from the Lord. You don't ever want to reach a point where you've forgotten the Lord. That's, that's reeks of ingratitude. That reeks of pride because when you forget the Lord, you know what you're saying? I don't need your protection. I don't need your guidance. I can do all of this on my own. And if you live your life, I'm telling you, if you live your life and you just do what you want to do when you want to do it and you don't get any direction from the Lord... You've forgotten the Lord. You can say, I love the Lord every morning and jump and say I've all sorts of pious things. But it, you might very well have forgotten the Lord. Most of y'all, I know you know the Lord and you, you're in a close relationship with the Lord, so I'm not trying to put guilt on you. But bad things happen when we forget the Lord. It's not a pretty picture. And God was about telling them bad things are about to happen to you. Bad things were going to happen to Gomer if she didn't straighten up. And God's saying bad things are going to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to you. But I, he knew it would happen. So he knew he was going to judge the nation. He knew he was going to judge them very harshly. You know, God does not spare the rod. We live in a country where, oh, man, God would never do this. God would never allow these floods. God would never, you know, God would never allow this to happen to me. God would never allow that to happen to me. God does not spare the rod. I'm telling you, these people were taken back to Assyria with hooks in their mouth. These were the Israelites, the apple of God's eye. I mean, literally, with hooks in their mouth. And at some point, if we forget the Lord, God is going to send judgment. Again, you know, I wouldn't send you home with that. We still got a good thing we got 10 minutes. Because I know our visitors would never come back. 
But look what happens in verse number 14. Here's where it gets really good. He says, therefore, therefore. I love the therefores and the buts in the Bible. They're usually buts are usually good. There's bad buts and good buts in the Bible. Bad therefores and good therefores. No sooner does he judge her. Listen to what he says. This is his person. Behold, I will allure her. I will woo her back. The purpose of my judgment isn't to destroy the nation of Israel. The purpose of God's discipline on us isn't to destroy us. It's to woo us back. He says, I will allure her. I will bring her into a wilderness, into trouble. I'm going to bring her into trouble. But there I will speak comfort to her. I'll get her back to her senses. You know, sometimes it takes a real shaking by the Lord to get us back to our senses where we realize that he's the most important thing we have. And without him, we can't, we can't function without him. We're naked without him. We're like little babies without him. We're vulnerable without him to all sorts of pain and all sorts of trouble. So he takes us out into that wilderness where we're naked and we're all alone. And all our lovers have deserted us. So I can speak comfort to her. God is a God of comfort. And then what happens? And there I will give her vineyards from there. I love this right here. We'll look at it in just a second. And the valley of Acre is the door of hope, as the door of hope, or is the door of hope. However you want to look at that, same thing. She shall sing there. And in the days of her youth, as in the days of when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Remember how when they crossed over the Red Sea? Remember all of them singing? They didn't sing long, but they did at least sing when they got across. And they praised God, and they had, man, they had this heart for God, and they were so excited for God. and They just couldn't help but sing. I mean, it was, it, it was just, they, they had to sing. They were so excited about what God was doing for them. And, and that day's going to come again. You know, I, I, I think, I think when we're, we reach a point in our worship where we're, we're, we're singing and we're not really into the worship and stuff, you know, that's a reflection of a little bit of our relationship with God. But man, when you experience the comfort of God, come to worship, isn't it great to worship God and, and, to, and, and, to, and to experience him in that worship? And, and he said the time's going to come again where... where uh, they're going to they're gonna sing like they did in the, in the land of Egypt. And it, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will, they will call me husband and no longer my master. There's a difference. You know, I really feel sorry for people who don't know the Lord and they're very legalistic in their relationship with the Lord. And they see the Lord as some great taskmaster, master, some great... Uh, you know, like a, like a bad daddy or something, a bad father, a, 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 a very stern father. But when you really know the Lord and the Lord brings you through this process, that's not the way you see the Lord. You see the Lord as your, your father, as your husband. And, and, and you see Christ as your husband, as your friend, as your lover, you know, in, in, in a spiritual way. And then I love that first part of that verse 15. It says, the valley of Acre is the door of hope. Boy, that's appropriate to what we're going through here in Louisiana right now. 
Over in Joshua chapter 7, do you remember the story when Joshua had a great victory at Jericho? And then they went to a little town called Ai and they, they had a half a million soldiers and they got defeated by like 3,500 soldiers from Ai. Remember that? And, and Joshua got on his face and he began to pray and the Lord said, get up off your face. Has the Lord ever told you to get up off your face? Get up your, up, off your face and get that sin out of the camp and then come to me and pray. And they found out the reason that God had, had not blessed them in that battle like he did in Jericho and it was because of what Achan had done. Achan and Acre are just different forms of the same Hebrew word. It means trouble. Achan caused Israel a lot of trouble. But from that trouble, there was a, open for them a door of hope. I mean, after that sin was dealt with, there was, Israel had a great victory. And that's the same, that's what God's saying to us right here. The valley of Acre is a door. The valley of trouble is a door. If you're in trouble, hey, the door is, is opening. The door of hope is opening. The door to a brighter future is opening. The door to victory is opening, especially if you're a child of God. If you're a child of God and you get flooded, you know what I'd say looking at this? Hey, that's the door of hope. There's, God's got some bright plans for me. Some good things are about to happen for me. And he's going to use this experience for my good. Even if you, you deserve what's happening, even if God's disciplining you, you and you're in trouble, you got to say, just like he was disciplining the nation of Israel here, man, that discipline, that terrible discipline that came upon them was their only hope. It was their hope for a future because if they'd gone on and God had let them gone on, he just would have destroyed them forever, but he didn't. That trouble gave them hope because it was that trouble that turned them around. It was the only thing that was going to turn them around. And so the Valley of Acre is our door of hope. You ever heard of Jacob's trouble? That's Jacob's Acre. Acre. That's Jacob's Acre. Jacob's trouble is a, you talk about a door of hope. You talk about a door of hope when Israel goes through the great tribulation. That's what Jacob's trouble is. Well, think of the hope that's waiting when that door opens and Jesus returns. And the nation of Israel is restored. They will see in Zechariah, they will look on him and they're pierced and they will mourn as a mother mourns for a lost child. Because they have such great hope and they'll have such great hope. Because it's through that trouble that that nation will be saved. It's through that trouble that you and I will return with, from the, with the Lord and we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then forever and ever and ever and ever. It's a door of hope. And I'll tell you what, it was George's acre that became my door of hope. I don't know about you. It was trouble. Trouble, trouble helps us all to come see the Lord. Help us, trouble helps us all to get back into the right relationship with the Lord. Trouble's a good thing. That's what, the, that's what he's saying here. When, when God is dealing out the trouble, 
It is a door to hope. If you're, if you're, if you're here tonight and you, you know, you're just in a great relationship with the Lord and yet you're, you're in some kind of trouble and you're wondering why I'm in this trouble, you know what? You're at the door. Things are about to get bright in your life. They're dark in the world, but they're going to get bright in your life because if you're a believer, that door of, that, that time of trouble is a door of hope. And he says in verse number 17, he says, he says, now he's going to actually talk about the, the millennium. And he says, for, and, and you'll see the millennium through, that's why it's so important to study the minor prophet. Because you see the great hope of this millennium and people tell you they don't believe in a millennium. They haven't read the minor prophets. Because it's here. He says, for I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. I'm going to rid the land of all these false gods. And in that day I will make a covenant with the beast of the field and with the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground. Both, and you know how the, Paul talked about the earth groaning, even the creation groaning, even the creatures groaning, waiting for the uh, fullness of the adoption of the sons of men, the sons and daughters of God. That's what we're waiting on. And one day God's going to, the, the animals will be better off. Uh, the creeping things will be better off. The bow and the sword of the battle I will shatter from the earth. There'll be no more wars, no more violence. There'll be peace on earth, goodwill towards man. And we'll be able to lie down safely. Your children will be able to go outside at night in your neighborhood and play and, it'll, and, and, you won't, and, and they'll be safe. You can walk down an alley and you'll be safe because Christ will be ruling on this earth in perfect righteousness. You talk about utopia, that'll be utopia. I love verse 19. Wait, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. Think about that. He doesn't say, I'm going to marry you to me forever. He says, I'm going to betroth you to me forever. What was, a, what was a Jewish betrothal? What did that mean? It was an engagement. You know how excited lovers are for each other when they're engaged? And then 32 years later, if you got the right wife, you're still excited. <laughs> yeah, I got those brownie points in. But, in the, you know, those of you that have gone through an engagement period, it's a fun time, man. You, 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 there's nothing in the world. I mean, it's, hard to, it's easy to forget God during that time because, man, you're, that woman is all you can think about. And you're so much in love and there's so much passion. You know what God's saying right there? The relationship that I have with you won't be waning. It'll be like a betrothal forever. I will be betrothed to you forever. And you're going to have that excitement that you had when you first got saved, you're going to have forever. That excitement you have when you see me the first time in my glory, you're going to have forever. You're not going to say, well, wow, that was cool. Remember, remember when Jesus returned about... You know, about a thousand years ago and, you know, ruled and reigned on the earth. I mean, uh, that, oh, really, I, mean, I was excited about the Lord then. No, you'll still be just excited. You'll still be just as much in love. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. You know, I saw previews the other night when I was watching the Olympics of a new TV show about uh, heaven and and uh, I don't know, I forgot what they called it, but anyway, talking about how, you know, drinking beer and having parties and 
uh, all sorts of things that we really love on this earth that will just continue in a greater way once we get there. That's, you know what? I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. You want to know what's going to be the trademark of heaven, the trademark of the millennium? is righteousness and justice. Now, there'll be love and there'll be, there'll be feast and there'll be uh, entertainment and there'll be, you know, all of these things that we make gods, they'll be there. But what's going to be the mark of the millennial kingdom and the forever kingdom is righteousness and justice. Things will be fair and there'll be love, loving kindness and mercy because God is love and God is mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you, not your faithfulness, you'll become faithful. We'll become a lot more faithful than we are now when we see the Lord. But we'll be there because of God's faithfulness, not ours. I will betroth you to me in, in faithfulness and you're going to know Jehovah God. You're going to know him. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. And instead of scattering Israel throughout the earth, I'm going to scatter seed throughout the earth. So we see that term Jezreel again. Jehovah will scatter. Jehovah will scatter again, but he'll scatter good things and blessings throughout this earth. Then I will sow for her myself in the earth and I will have mercy. There's that word, not lo ruhamah, but ruhamah. On her who had obtained mercy, who, who had not obtained mercy, lo ruhamah. See the word play in the Hebrew here? It's, it's Hebrew poetry is what we're looking at here almost. He says, then I will say to these who were not my people, lo ami, you, ami, you are my people. And they shall say, my Elohim. You are my God. You're not some taskmaster. You're my God. You're my husband. You're my father. You're my friend. Well, we got a lot to look forward to. And even though we're in a time of trouble, it seems right now, hey, that's the door of hope. Keep that in mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the fact that there is always hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what we're going through, Lord, we know that as born-again believers that, that uh, we have a great hope. We have a hope for eternity, Lord. We have a hope for the millennium. We have a hope for this time we spend the rest of our lives here on this earth. All of that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And no matter what trouble we go through, Lord, uh, we know you've got good things when that door opens up. Really good things. Trouble is a fleeting thing. There's, that's why you give us a rainbow, Lord, and we can look forward to, to your blessings and your mercy because you are mercy and you are love. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the fact that we've been made just by the cross of Jesus Christ. Your justice was was taken out on him, Lord. We thank you for that, and we look forward to the future and the hope that we have in him, Lord. And we just thank you in his precious name. Amen.